Hi, I'm that Kimberly, and welcome to the Caregiver Stories podcast. In 2019, I started the Caregiver Stories podcast to give caregivers a place to tell their story when they're ready, continue to educate those who don't understand exactly what dementia is, and most importantly, I want to get people talking about having a tough conversation about the what if their loved one is diagnosed, then what? What's the plan? Where do they start? I wish my mom and I had had that tough conversation before she was diagnosed. If you want to share your story or you have knowledge about dementia and want to be a guest on the Caregiver Stories podcast, visit that Kimberly com to sign up to be interviewed and while you're there you can pick whichever platform you prefer to listen to the podcast on whether it's itunes spotify anchor google youtube soundcloud and a few others i'm probably forgetting but definitely now amazon alexa my guest today is rachel nussbaum hello rachel how are you doing hi kimberly i'm doing great today thanks thanks for having me Oh, thank you for joining us. And I really appreciate your time and you sharing your story with us. Yeah, so sure. yeah, tell the listeners a little bit of, you know, your background and what led you to do the work you're doing now. Sure. Well, I think a good place to start would be in 2010. So that's almost a decade ago now. I was pregnant with my second child and my parents were visiting me. I live in Virginia. They had come down from New York just for a visit. And my mom and dad asked me to sit down on the couch in my living room and told me that they had news for me. And mm. I think my husband was there. Don't really remember that part. I can picture myself even right now sitting down on the same couch that I have today. And they gave me the devastating news that my mom had received a diagnosis of a type of dementia called Lewy body dementia. Ah. Now that's changed since then, but that was the initial diagnosis back in 2010. And okay. my mom had been experiencing symptoms for a lot of years. And so, in some ways, hearing a name to what was going on was actually a relief. And it wasn't the kind of symptoms that I would typically think of with dementia. So, she had been having trouble driving for years, swerving on the road and just not being able to stay in her lane. Did someone else bring that up or did she like- No, I experienced it myself. Oh, like okay. yeah, I can remember, you know, scary. driving with her and just feeling really nervous. And we always had kind of joked that she wasn't a good driver, yeah. but like that wasn't aligned with the rest of her personality. So it was kind of odd yeah. looking back on it now, but like we would get into a construction zone, for example, and I would just kind of like, pray that we would make it through. She didn't really get in any major accidents. She, she did eventually, but yeah. um, back then, but she did like, she ran a bunch of stop signs and we lived, my parents lived in a really small town. And uh -huh. so the police would pull her over and just be like, Hey, you know, you, you ran through the stop sign. She'd say, Oh, I'm sorry. I must've just missed it. And it's kind of just swept to the side for a long time. But this was starting to kind of put pieces together. The other major symptom had been that she, her handwriting had gone really downhill and she was a teacher mm -hmm. and she had began to lose the ability to write. Like she couldn't write on the board anymore for her mm -hmm. kids. And that was just strange, you know, and she had 
gone through a couple of diagnoses like carpal tunnel syndrome, and even like they had posed Parkinson's and kind of pulled back on that. But this made sense, like a brain disease made sense. And honestly, at first I was a little relieved to have a name, but I, I just had no idea what it meant to have a neurodegenerative disease. Yeah. Like, no clue. Yeah. And did they go get tested first for them to give your mom the diagnosis of Lewy bodies and then yes. something else happened because you said that it didn't end up yes. being in the end what the true diagnosis was. It was not the same diagnosis in the end is basically... That's right. How they find that out. Right. So, you know, she had, like I said, they had been to see a neurologist because they had floated this Parkinson's diagnosis, but they went back and saw a local neurologist where they were living in Western New York. And he was the one that diagnosed Lewy body disease. And like I said, at first it was just like kind of a relief to have a name. But when we started doing a lot of research on Lewy body, it just didn't quite fit with what we were seeing with my mom. And so we decided to keep searching. And I suppose this is something that might be important for people that to be seen by physicians that have experience with all kinds of dementia. So what we did, I live outside of Washington, DC. And so we ended up bringing her to an academic institution, somewhat local to us down here, where she had a really, really robust workup done and that but that was like a couple maybe two years later mm-hmm. and after that big workup was when we received her diagnosis that she has now mm-hmm. of posterior cortical atrophy we wow. call it pca because it's a huge mouthful yeah and it's really <laughs> really rare <laughs> okay so i honestly have such a hard time describing this disease but the way that i go about it is that she does not have the sort of memory issues that you think of with Alzheimer's disease. She has a little bit of short-term memory issue, but that's come in the more advanced stages of this disease. Keep Mm -hmm. in mind, she's had the diagnosis for almost 10 years now. Okay. So initially it started with kind of what I was describing before with the driving and the handwriting. So a visual spatial problem Mm -hmm. where she had trouble orienting herself just anywhere that she was. And then vision was a huge one. So now she's legally blind and Mm -hmm. has a lot of trouble seeing and coordination of movement. So at this point, she's not able to do most tasks of daily living. So she Mm -hmm. can't get herself dressed. She can't cook any meals for herself. She can't even make coffee. She requires assistance for everything, even Uh things like eating now. Um, So it's more of like this coordination and vision and spatial awareness piece that has really impacted her. Does she know this? My mom's very aware. Well, my mom doesn't like to admit it, but sometimes she's, you know, makes jokes and is aware about it. And then other times she just doesn't understand why the keys are missing. You know, it's nine times out of 10, she hit it, you know, and just doesn't remember where it's at. Sure. Yeah. So that I think is one of the most devastating things about PCA is Mm -hmm. that she is aware of every single thing that she's lost, everything, every ability that she's lost. And so it's taken a huge toll on her mental health. Yeah. Um, And that has been a big, big struggle for us. And, you know, in the later stages of the disease, in the last like two to three years, she has had a lot more confusion and more typical 
symptoms mm-hmm. of dementia, mm-hmm. but she still knows everything that she's lost. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most devastating part for all of us. Yeah. Does your dad live like is technically the full-time slash caregiver? Yeah. So, yeah it's, so that's kind of all part of the story. So after that day in the family room at my house, mm-hmm. my life kind of got turned upside down in the next couple of years. One of the reasons was this diagnosis, but that baby I was carrying had congenital heart disease. Oh, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Great now. He's doing really great now, Good. but Good. you know, to deal with that, it was life threatening and really serious. And then after my son was about a year old, he was a baby. My dad died suddenly. Your and dad? My dad died. Yes. Wow. Yes. So it was like all of the steadiness of my life got ripped out from under me in just a couple of years. And, and so like just dealing with all those things obviously was one thing, but then also what in the world are we going to do about mom? My sister and I were living outside of DC. My mom was uh, eight hours away in Western New York. Mm -hmm. And so it became this like huge question of, how we are going to handle this together. And, you know, that's kind of what led me all of these things to what I'm doing today, which started out as writing as a tool to help me deal with all of this. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, you know, I started off just writing for myself and trying to process and all of the things that we were experiencing at that time. And eventually I started sharing stories and I started sharing stories about my son and about my mom and this experience. And I, experienced a lot of healing from doing that. Like it just helped me in a way that therapy didn't talking to other people who had experienced similar things didn't. And so I was like, well, I want to bring this to other women. And I created my business orchid story based on this idea of using writing as a tool for healing. So that's kind of like where I've come to, but in those early stages, we were grappling with a lot of things. And it took, I think, you know, that's like you've, you've said too, you know, it does take time to figure things out. I think that's one thing we could offer to people is give yourself the grace to like, take it one step at a time because (sighs) it's so overwhelming. Oh yes. And it's frustrating because you have to juggle your life or whatever is happening in your life at the same time. And you're on a schedule with this, you know, your parent, whoever the person is that you're caring for. And so if it's not happening for me, if if it wasn't, I had to basically take the step back and, and be okay with if the things I wanted to get done that month didn't happen, it was okay. Just, you know, take one trip at a time. Cause I go, I live in Dallas and I commute to El Paso for four to five days to make sure that, you know, I give my stepdad a break and she has a full-time caregiver during the day with her, you know, some time and some relief and I handle her finances and stuff like that. But I was so frustrated the first two years, just in tears all the time. And Mm -hmm. yeah, just slowing down and and being, like you said, giving yourself grace that you're doing the best that you can with what you were dealt. It's just, you know, very overwhelming. So yeah, I think looking back now I can say it, but that definitely was not the case. Yeah. Um, And, you know, for me in those first couple of years, but I think you bring up another really good point and it's something I've experienced too, is that like the living situation for your loved one who has dementia can look really different for different people and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I've heard 
from so many people wondering why my mom isn't living with me in my house. And for us, we just know that that it's not feasible. It would not work. It would ruin my relationship that I have left with my mom. Yes. Oh my gosh. You hit it right on the head. (laughs) And I had the same thing. My mom's Latin and her circle Mm. of friends, you know, my mom, one did not want me to come home. That was not a option. She is very strong-willed, but the judgment, and they didn't like judge me. They weren't angry at me, but they just, well, you know, why don't you come here? Why don't you move her to to you? And, and first the doctor said, do not take her out of her surroundings. That's the worst thing you can do. Mm. And it's, he's not even a neurologist, but he was like, just keep having her play tennis if you yeah. know she's physically very healthy and and it could be two years, it could be twenty years and, and now she's, you know, going on her eighth year. But it was, it was people didn't understand, you know, and it took time for even my stepdad to to get that, you know, like I'm doing the best. He's doing the best. We're on the same team. Like I know you can't be there all the time and I can't be there all the time. So let's find somebody that can. Like that was, you know, was just a struggle in itself and yeah, figuring out what's best for you and your family is what's important for sure. Mm -hmm. So it's like a progression, you know, because she she stayed in her house alone in New York for a couple of years. And like that worked for a couple of years. We had a caregiver who came in, she had an amazing community of friends. So someone had their eyes on her every day, Yeah, that's. but you know, it just became unsustainable. She eventually totaled her car, got in an accident, had not been willing to put the keys away, even though we had begged and begged. Thank God she was okay and no one else got hurt. So, you know, there were just sort of a series of events that my sister and I had to force the move for her to come down to live near us. And then that was a huge decision of where should she go when she yeah. moved down here, you know? Yeah. And so she really wanted to be an independent living, senior yeah. living, but independent living. And although we didn't feel like that was the right place for her, mm-hmm. we agreed to it because we felt like she needed to still have some agency. We were moving her out of her home, which she wasn't happy jazzed yeah. about. And so we decided let's let her have some agency here and let's try independent living with help caregivers coming in and just see, you know, it's not like that's the other thing, right? Like nothing is a forever. Move. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that for a year and then we had to move her to assisted living. We knew it was going to happen. That's where she is now. She's been there since November, 2018. So not even a year yet. And mm-hmm you know, she's there and even that's not perfect. And we still have outside caregivers coming in, but I can see her pretty much whenever I want. I see her at least once a week and I talk to her pretty much every day. So we're at a point at this moment, like today where things are working and I'm sure like if I talk to you in a year from now, it's going to look different. Yeah. It's constantly evolving. My mom, when she was diagnosed, refused to give up driving. And then, so we let her drive. We had an app on our phone that followed her everywhere she went. And, you know, I talked to her every day via Alexa, the Alexa mm-hmm. show. We do that too. Yeah. Modern technology is amazing. So, but, and then I have cameras in her house, mm-hmm. you know, 
and things of that sort through, you know, home automation. But when she started taking the wrong turn to go to tennis, instead of going to tennis on the freeway, she was going to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, Definitely time we had to take her to the doctor and the doctor tell her she can no longer drive. And we have a little note on the door with the doctor's handwriting in the prescription, you know, know, I'm the youngest child and it's, you know, you're basically becoming the parent and that's a hard thing. You know, she's grateful to me that I care enough to take care of her. And I, she raised me right that that's, you know, what we do as, you know, family, but like giving up driving was just the thing that has still been hard because she gets mad sometimes when looking for her keys, but I did not like with your mother want her to get involved in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And I had to propose that to her like that, like mom, you know, you're causing Jules, my stepdad, you're causing him just enormous stress. You know, I worry, I see you moving when you're not supposed to be driving at night or things of that sort. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard for them for sure. Driving is, I think, an example of one of the biggest decisions. Absolutely. That comes along with it. Yeah. We've moved pretty far past that now, but I recall just the sheer terror I felt when I got the phone call, you know, Absolutely. So, so, okay, let me ask this question. Since your mom and dad had come to you to tell you about this mm-hmm. diagnosis, had they ever planned or had any other kind of conversation prior to them coming to you with this diagnosis saying, hey, if we get sick or if we can't take care of ourselves, you know, we have these things in place. Did you guys ever have that type of conversation? Yeah, you know, and then, yeah, I know that's something that you like to talk about. My dad was a big planner. Okay. So, fortunately, we did have those conversations, but still hard though, right? Yeah. And then, but then he died. So then it was like, well, okay, now what do we do? And so I think I should give my dad a lot of credit for this. I think I sort of channeled him and my sister and I really in those first couple of years after he died, well, we have to get all of the finances together, the healthcare Mm -hmm. proxy, all those things. And we did that. It was, again, this is one of those things where you have to give yourself a lot of grace because it takes so much time and energy and back and forth and logistics, but it's worth it in the end because yeah. honestly, every week I pull out my power of attorney and send it to someone yeah. who I'm trying to coordinate care for my mom yeah. one way or the other. So I think, you know, for us, one thing in terms of advice that I would give is to find your person that can support you. Mm-hmm. For me, it's my sister. And I mean, we've worked really, really hard to be on the same page. And if we're not to figure it out during mm-hmm. this whole journey. And so when something comes up and we need to figure out something, we can do it together and tackle it as a team. Yeah. It's been so incredibly important for me. And in the first couple of years, like you and I had mentioned before, there were so many voices and so many opinions. And these were people that I really loved and cared about. And then after my dad died, even more so because there was this gap in my mom's life and in our lives. But what I was doing then was listening to all the opinions and then like researching them and thinking about them and considering all the opinions. That's not healthy. Mm. I totally dug myself into a hole and burned myself out by doing that. Mm -hmm. I've really had to step back and say, okay, my sister, Danielle, she's the person. And of course my husband is really supportive too, but when it comes down to it for my mom, like it's my sister and I didn't make all the decisions. And so how can I 
be gracious and caring and loving with the people that love my mom mm-hmm. and say like, okay, thanks for your opinion, but then block it out. And you know, what we've deemed to be the best decision that we could make at this yeah. point in time, because that's, that's all you can, can do. do. Yeah. You know, the people I listened to the most were people that didn't know my mother that had just mm. had been through some, something yep. and they gave me, you know, when this happened, we did this, like the first thing I did because I broke down in a meeting with a friend and, you know, old client, you know, about my mom that he was like, you need to get power of attorney ASAP. Like while she's, you know, still yeah. coherent and, and okay with things. And I did, I was so blessed that he, you know, gave me that advice that when she was diagnosed, she was willing to let me, you know, her bills as she was, you know, financially upside down because she was forgetting to pay the mortgages and forgetting, you know, all those things. So we got that all cleared up, but she was more than willing to let me take that on. Mm -hmm. But like when it came to her friends, when they would say something, I would say, well, this is what I'm doing because this is what has happened, you know, or because this is, you know, the medical doctor said this or, you know, so I I guess that was my way of, you know, saying thank you (laughs) and moving on so that I would get drowned in it. But it was constant and I still do. I still have to explain to people, but it's gotten easier. And her friends, you know, I'm sure like your mom, they watch out for her. They call me, they call, you know, her caregiver, you know, you know, we call her her handler, her running buddy, because she keeps her on schedule with her calendar and, you know, does a lot of the things that my mom just doesn't want to admit that she can't do, you know? Right. So, right. It is. So finding your person and good for your sister you know, my brother was in denial for a long time. He's gotten mm. a little bit better, but yeah, it's usually, I say that God gives you children because, you know, one of those children are going to be the one that takes care of you. Yeah. Isn't that kind of terrifying? <laughs> yeah. Well, one or two, hopefully, but one for sure. There's one that steps up and says, okay, mm-hmm. and kind of corrals the rest of them or just does it by themselves, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And I think if it like, I would say to that, if it's not a family member, then just a friend, you know, can be your support person, but you really need someone that you can kind of just unload onto because it's such a huge emotional burden to carry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When people reach out to me or say something to me, a a work event or something, you know, because they're just listening or they've seen it or they, you know, Mm -hmm. they will ask me, I was like, yeah, here's, you know, you have my number, call me whenever, you know, if you got questions. So it definitely has been very therapeutic for me to share that advice to others that I know well, and then others that I don't, you know, I feel that one of the main things about the podcast is to reach those that I don't know, you know, and really just to get people talking about how, like, for instance, it's awesome. Your dad made that plan, but then unfortunately he passed and you were like, holy smokes, you know, then now what, you know, can you imagine if you don't have that conversation, you know, people that don't have the conversation with their parents, like I, my mom, we didn't ever think about that, you know? Right. And it was a holy smokes moment because I had to figure it all out on my own, you know, digging through files and finding accounts and, and, you know, just everything, you know? Right. So. And I think what you said about your whole mission with the podcast is partly at least telling your story about your mom. And that relates to exactly the work that I do in helping Mm -hmm. people tell their stories because it does help you to feel connected and rooted and 
provide so much healing when we do share our stories. Yeah. And because everybody's stories are different, I'm like, hey, it can't just be about, because my mom's short-term memory, which is, you know, uh, early onset, it's right. not Alzheimer's, you know, but I had a friend that her mom had Louis bodies and I had another mm-hmm. friend that they did have Alzheimer's, you know? And so when I found that there was groups of people out there and organizations that have all these people who were caregivers who, who led them to, you know, either become an author or have a, like for you, helping families to get through these things. I was like, Hey, that's even more knowledge. I wouldn't even be able to provide to others. I never want to mislead anybody. I'm big about saying, I don't know, but let me find mm-hmm. out. Right. So right. I let me find out <laughs> Avenue. So Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, some people, like, it sounds like you really love connecting and reaching out with other people. And like I said, for me, that writing for myself for a long time was where I found healing. And I actually, and even still have a hard time sometimes connecting with other organizations Mm -hmm. that care for and care about people with dementia, because I find it to be such a huge emotional weight that it's sometimes hard for me to take on the weight of others. Yeah. I would just say, know yourself, you know, like, what do you need? And I'm an introvert, so maybe it has something to do with that, but know what you need and then do that thing, you know, like figure it out so that you can be in a good place yourself because the self-care piece is huge. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the organization side of things at one point I thought, Oh, I'm, let me do a nonprofit, you know, but Mm -hmm. I was like, no, because there's, they're already raising money for research and there's all these other nonprofits. And I got some great advice from someone that was like, be careful because you're passionate about that, but not everybody else is. So I was like, you know what, then I'm just going to make it not for profit, you know, and just do it because it still is helpful. And it is very therapeutic for me. I believe that sharing is caring and letting people go at something that you know is hard alone. So what's one thing you want people to know when it comes to dementia? Mm -hmm. I've thought about this. (laughs) There's so many things. I think the actual diagnosis is maybe less important. We have had such a hard time finding out concrete information about PCA, my mom's disease. Mm -hmm. And so in general, what I think is helpful, might be helpful, hopefully, for people that have a loved one with dementia is understanding that you are experiencing grief. Like the person that you love has changed and is no longer the same. And that's a loss. And to sort of allow that into the experience that you're having with the person that you love. For a long time, I just kept charging forward and kept trying to have conversations because again, my mom's mental cognition is still pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of tricky. I would expect her to be able to understand like a challenge I was having with my kids or at work. And when she didn't respond in the way that she always had, I would get so upset and so turned around Mm -hmm. and it's not helpful for her. It's not helpful for me. Yeah. And to finally understand that She's just not the same person that she was. And to allow myself to grieve that part of her that I've lost and just to seek out ways. Again, for me, it's usually writing and working with other people on a small level 
to heal and, and deal with that loss because it is a loss. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I used to cry. Then I used to get mad and now we laugh. I found laughter (laughs) because she'll make jokes all the time about, you know, like that she's rubbing off on me when I tell her that I forgot to do something or I got to write it down or whatever. Yeah. So the fact that you said early on that you didn't want it to affect your relationship with her is the reason you know, you guys chose to do the things that you did by not having her directly come and live in your home. Cause I saw that happen with my, my mom and her father, you know, mm. their relationship became strained. Same thing with my dad and his mother, because he became the primary caregiver. I didn't want that from either one of my parents, you know, especially my mother. She's my hero. Like my dad, like I put them on that pedestal and I would, the last thing I'd want them to do was be, to be mad at me because I'm trying to be the enforcer. And so I'd rather right. it be a happy experience as much as possible, as humanly possible as I can. So I try to do my best to crack the jokes or make it seem very lighthearted and not as pushy as yeah. I used to be, you know? Yeah and, I, yeah. and I think in a situation where there's so much loss of control. Oh, yes. That's like one thing that I can control is how am I going to show up when I'm with her? You know, that's and good point. It's not about her. That's about me. Like that's mm-hmm. on me. And that's hard sometimes because I just want to yell and scream and dig my heels in. But again, I know in my heart that that's not the way I want to show up with my mom. And so, it, it does kind of give you a little bit of that control back, you know, yeah. taking control of an otherwise uncontrollable situation. Yeah, absolutely. What is something else that surprised you from being a caregiver, you know, in general about? Yeah, well, this is, yeah, this is a challenge that I've been working on and especially in the last two years since my mom has moved to be closer to us, which is been very, very helpful overall, but also added some other, you know, layers, let's yeah. say. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything. And I think dementia has, not my mom, but dementia has mm-hmm. played into my feeling of not being enough. You know, that feeling that a lot of us have in, mm-hmm. in the world. Dementia has played into that in the worst way. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is my mom's needs are endless. I could be with her 24-7 and she would still need more from me. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's no cure. There's no solution. And she will never recognize that because again, dementia, not her. But coming back to me, it just made me feel like, gosh, I'm not doing what she wants me to do. I'm not being the daughter she wants me to be. And that was really painful. So in my work that I do, something that I teach to my students is the idea of narrative identity, Mm -hmm. which is that your personality is made up of the collection of stories you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. So I thought like, this is what I'm teaching to the people that I work with. And of course I'm trying to apply all these lessons in my life, but I realized this story of I'm not a good enough daughter, this is playing a big role in my life and it's really influencing my well-being. Do yeah. I want it to be that way? No. Like, no, I don't want it to be that way. So I've really been working in the last couple of years to try and change that story around. And if my mom was healthy, she would say, 
that she's absolutely thrilled with the care that I'm providing. So it's really, again, just this kind of dementia personifying it that's doing this to me. I like um, the way you say that. It's not her, it's dementia. Yeah. And I like when I write, sometimes I'll write to dementia, you know, yeah. like I'll be like really angry at dementia and kind of, like I said, personify it and separate it out from my mom. So I'm really trying to kind of change the story around and think about how I want it to be a story of redemption. Like it's a really devastating situation, but Mm -hmm. I've had an opportunity to reflect on it for almost a decade. And so, like we've said, I can show up from a place of kindness and love and respect and know that my mom feels the same towards me, even if dementia doesn't feel that way. Absolutely. Originally, the name of this podcast, a lot of my friends gave me the feedback was too harsh because it was originally going to be something, you know, about breaking the cycle because dementia burdens. Mm. And I was like, but that would get people's attention. And they're like, yeah, but that might come off negatively. I'm like, okay. And it was only because at the time when people would ask and in my family would ask me, why does she do this? And I'm like, because she's got dementia. It's Mm -hmm. the dementia. Like, and then I had to take a step back, take a deep breath and stop listening to that angry tape in my head and switch it to, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but let's work together so that mom, that this doesn't happen again, or, you know, like whatever the situation had occurred, but like we're on the same team. Let's make it so mom is happy and content in her years. We don't know if it's going to be two or 20, but whatever it is, why not just make it where she's happy, comfortable, and we do the best that we can do for her. And she'd be happy with that. Like she's Absolutely. not high maintenance. I like to tease yeah. her that she is, but not really. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a process, right? Like you go through times where that's easier for yeah. you and then other times where it's really, really challenging. And I think that's okay. You know, it's, it is a journey like everything else in life. And you're going to have times where separating it out is easier than others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good for you finding your writing. I mean, I'm not a good writer, so I do have the gift for gab. And, you know, I do love to talk to other people that have either gone through the same things or that I could share. So, you know, my story was so they don't go through it. And just, you know, connecting others is definitely, you know, why I chose to go the audio video route. Yep. Yeah. It's a similar mission, right? Like yeah. I do it through writing and you do mm-hmm. it through talking. Absolutely. So tell folks how they can get a hold of you or connect with you, you know, if they have more questions about what you're doing. Sure. My business is Orchid Story and my website, which is orchidstory.com is the best place to find me. Okay. I'm on social, but you can find my links if you just hop okay. over to Orchid Story. Okay. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, Rachel, you know, for joining me and sharing your story with me and the audience. I'm truly appreciative of your time. So um, thank you. It's really nice to connect with other people who've had similar experiences. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. And if you know somebody who could use Rachel's story, please share this episode. And if you'd be so kind while you're there listening on whatever platform you're listening, please rate the podcast. That would be awesome. I would appreciate that and your feedback. And to the caregivers listening, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. 
And in the words of Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And for those family members and friends out there that have not had that tough conversation about the what if something happens, then what's the plan? And they can no longer take care of themselves. What do you do? Please start having that tough conversation with them because I know I wish I had. And tomorrow is promised to no one. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Kimberly.